0: Yeah, so um, this gospel
1: of Jesus as the antidote, this is the good news that assures you that Jesus will get you everything you want if you believe. And this is a really subtle deviation from the actual real good news of Jesus. Are you lonely? Then believe in Jesus and he'll send you a partner. Are you hurting? Believe in Jesus, and he will take away your pain. Or do you want something in life, a better job, more money, more power, or status to get into this program or that program or to finish this program or that program? Jesus will get it for you. Jesus is the genie in the bottle, baby. You just got to rub him the right way, honey. To quote that famous theologian, Christina Aguilera. Thank you very much. Good night. Finish on a high note there. Um, The American consumer Jesus is a Jesus that's defined by each of us, a Jesus that is taking on our own image and our own likeness. But Jesus, the real Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, is not defined by you or even by me, the pastor up here with the microphone. The real Jesus stands above and beyond our definition, beyond our expectations, beyond our whatever box that we want to put him in. And this Jesus, this real Jesus who stands beyond our definition is actually working to redefine us, to change our expectations. This Jesus, who does not fit neatly into our American consumer-driven categories, Stands and above our categories, exploding and resurrecting them. So one of my fears is that in church, and one of the things that religious folk like me will sometimes do, is offer you um, something that you need. And then sneak Jesus into the back door, this Trojan horse gospel. You need this? Then believe in Jesus, and uh, yeah, he'll give it to you. This is the, uh, the happy life version of the good news. And yet, this is not the Christian life that Jesus tells us about. This is not even the life that Jesus himself experiences. It's not the life that Jesus' apostles experience. It's not the life that the followers of Jesus' apostles experience. And so much of me wonders if it's not actually the life that any of us are experiencing. Right? Is, is everyone in here just completely and totally fulfilled by Jesus? You've got everything you've ever asked for, everything you've ever needed, everything you've ever wanted by Jesus, like checking all the boxes. Now, I, I realize you're like, oh, my God, the pastor's saying this, um, I think the reality of the world that we live in is the reality of a broken world. The reality of our own bodies is the reality of broken bodies. And I think there are a lot of things we still need from Jesus. And the idea that somehow, if you just believe in Jesus, Jesus will wave this magic wand over your life and everything will magically get better and all your problems will be solved is actually a lie from the pit of hell. starting with some light stuff this morning, so. Really what I'm saying is that the Christian life is a life in exile. A life where you don't really fit in, a life of need, a life of yearning, a life of confession, a life of limitation, a life of lack, a life that actually hopes and depends and needs God. In so many ways, we have come to be told that our lives will be victorious, successful, happy if we have Jesus. And yet if we're following the Jesus who goes to Calvary, we're following a God who tells us to take up our cross and follow him. We're following a God who tells us that if they persecuted me, what do you think they're going to do to you? Not a God who's inviting us into a life where all of our problems magically get better, but is actually inviting us in our suffering, in our pain, in our disillusionment, in our disappointment to find hope. So in our text today, we have a prophetic word spoken to a people in exile. So the the backstory is we left off, we left Israel um, with these messy kings and there were these really disobedient kings and they were doing crazy stuff like throwing kids into fires in order to try and please God. And these prophets would come and say, "Hey, you're doing really terrible things, and you're you're oppressing the weak and the poor, and you're killing people, and then worshiping and doing this in my name." And so these prophets would come and they would warn, and they would warn, and they say, "Hey, look, if if you continue to refuse to live with me at the center of your world, then I will give you a life without me at the center of your world, and this is exile." And so the Babylonians come into Jerusalem, and I will skip the, the details of the history lesson here, they do it three times, but they come in and they sack Jerusalem and they take all of the inhabitants of Israel and they bring them back to Babylon and they assimilate them. And they try to teach them new cultures and new religion and new rules. They, they try to take some of who they are, their God identity out of them. And so in this is the, the, like the real obvious Cultural problem of you've got a people who are being taken out of their land and then taught to be a different people. But then you've got the theological problem that you have a people who are taken out of their land, and that land is in in and of itself the embodiment of the presence of God. You would go into Jerusalem, into the temple, and you would enter into the presence of God to worship. And so if the temple is being destroyed, the theological question that you are left with as an Israelite is where is your God? Your God was just defeated. Your God was just destroyed, and here you are being hauled off across the desert into exile into a foreign land. And it's in this context that the prophet Isaiah is prophesying, and he has some really like hard stuff to hear, and he also has some really beautiful stuff to say. And if you read with us this week in Isaiah 40 through 60, what you read are this section of Isaiah called the Servant Songs, where Isaiah keeps talking about the servant of the Lord, the servant of the Lord, the servant of the Lord, one that in Christian tradition we've come to know as Jesus. There's this expectation that this servant will come and will somehow shepherd Israel into redemption, also through some form of suffering. And so Israel has been conquered by the Babylonians, taken captive, brought back to Babylon, and this separation from the land is a separation from God's presence. And so at the beginning of Isaiah, you hear it. One, God is really, really clear through the prophet to point out, I didn't do this to you. You did this to yourself, that all of this is happening because of your sins. But then two, begins to paint this picture of this is a world where my presence is removed. The one who causes the sea to flourish removes the water and the fish are left to to rot on the shore. Who cloaks the heaven in darkness because God is the source of all light. So when God's presence is removed, the world goes into death, into corruption, into darkness. And this is a, a metaphor for exile. Entering into a world of death and corruption and darkness. And it's this pattern that's actually repeated over and over and over again. You see it as early as Genesis chapters 1, 2, and 3. Of we start in Eden, in God's presence, we're exiled from God's presence, and we are hoping that God will return us back into God's presence, or Eden. And so where do we find ourselves in that story? There are some people who think we never left Eden. This is it. We are living our best lives. Congratulations to Elon Musk, because I'm pretty sure he's like the only one, and no one in here thinks Elon Musk is living this great, his best life. That's great. There's a lot of us that think we have returned. Even through Christian history, there's this idea that, no, no, this is it. We are in the kingdom of God, which is, like, there's some really cool things there, but also, like, that's kind of disappointing, if we're really honest. Like, oh, this is is it? Is this it? Really? Okay. Cool, 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 cool. With removal of God's presence, God withdrawing his hand... He does not withdraw his promise. And we, like Israel, find ourselves not in Eden and not back in Eden. but We find ourselves in the middle, in exile. As a people of hope who get to week in and week out, get to experience the presence of God in our gathering but who also go back into a world that is godless. And I don't mean godless in like the moral way, like those heathens are drinking beer and saying cuss words. That's not what I mean. I mean the world of cancer and death and chronic illness and depression and just oppression and injustice in a world where some dude who doesn't like someone else's skin color walks in and just murders folks a dark and brutal and violent world that, yes, we actually really inhabit, even here in Houston. And we forget it because we're insulated from it. As Isaiah says, we've lit our own torches. We walk by the flame of our own light. I don't need to worry about Systematic racism, if I'm white, middle-class male, someone else's problem. I don't need to confront someone else's infertility because I have three kids. I don't need to be worried about the inconvenience of having to invite someone who lives alone into my life because I guess that's their problem. Their loneliness is their issue, not mine. And we insulate ourselves from the suffering of the world, and we insulate ourselves from the suffering of others. And yet, the reality is, and we had this conversation in our hub group yesterday part of what it means to be a human being is at one point in your life, your entire life will come unraveled, where you will face and confront something so dark and so earth shattering, and so like something that just in the face of it, you are so helpless to do anything about, or like optimistically think your way through, or stoically deal with, you come to the end of your rope. And that's true for religious people, and for non-religious people. That's true for the atheist, and that's true for the Christian. That is what it means to be human, or at least part of it anyways. Good pep dog, Brandon. Um, Back to school. Yay. Awesome. Where was I? <laughs> um, yeah, we are in exile. But what I want us to know is that this, this darkness that we confront, this death, this corruption that is actually really tangibly present when we leave this room week in and week out, is a, is a sign of a world in need of God's presence. A presence which inhabits us as his people. But that's getting ahead of ourselves. So this pattern of exile, um, garden, restoration, this exile, desert, death, these are all pictures of the same thing, movement away from God. And so then we ask the question, what do we as a people in exile, what does it look like to live life well here? in this space, how do we bear witness to the resurrected Jesus if we've still got our own stuff that hasn't been fixed? I think Jesus actually shows us. And I want us to hear this very clearly because this has gotten really confused in the world at large, especially from religious folks like me. Jesus is not promising to end your suffering and to take your pain away here and now. It's not that he won't It's not that he can't, but right, Lazarus was resurrected, and guess what happened to Lazarus at some point? He died again. Oh, my God, I never really, whoa, that brother had to die twice. (laughs) Like, (laughs) come on, Jesus, thanks, I guess, I don't know, uh... We don't believe in a God who has promised us like this easy, trite, cliche, hey, believe in me and then everything will be fine. No, 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 we believe in a God who has actually entered exile with us, who has come down and joined us in the darkness and joined us in the violence and joined us in the injustice and joined us in the, the oppression. So that in your loneliness, know that Jesus has entered your loneliness with you. In your pain, Jesus has entered your pain with you. In the injustice that's afflicted upon you, Jesus has entered into your injustice with you. How do I know this? Well, one, because Isaiah says it. Jesus enters the desert with us, enters exile with us. I gave my back to those who struck me and my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I hid not my face from insult and spitting. I willfully entered into this persecution. And in this, we are invited to see and reimagine how we might live lives of faith in exile as followers of Jesus. Because he goes on, In Isaiah 50, in the midst of this, the shame and the spitting and the striking, he says, the Lord God helps me. Therefore, I have not been disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like a flint. And I know that I shall not be put to shame. He who vindicates me is near. Who can contend with me? And he boasts, not in his morality, not in his position of power, not even in his lack of suffering, but instead in the midst of his suffering, suffering, he boasts in God. And so Jesus gives us the final picture of exile when Jesus himself, fully God, takes all of the world's rejection, all of the world's rebellion, all of the curse of death and sin and sickness and pain and violence upon himself. And he enters exile, the exile of death. Hey, can someone do an AC check for me real quick? Just make sure that bad boy's actually turned down. Because it's getting warm in here again. So thank you. Thank you, Kevin. Big hand of applause for our AV team back there, <laughs> MVPs of the morning. And you too can be an MVP if you would join our <laughs> AV team. <laughs> so imagine Jesus bearing the weight of exile, the weight of the curse, the cursing of the world at its worst, at its like the, the, the tip of the spear. And What happens? The world cries out to God as God enters exile and says, save yourself, save yourself. I see the good news of the world uh, is the same good news as it's always been, save yourself, save yourself. Get a better job, have more money, get a spouse, get a different spouse, have two spouses. Sorry, different, different church, my bad. If only you weren't sick, if only you weren't depressed, if only you weren't this, if only you weren't that. Save yourself. And the picture that we have as followers of Jesus is the God of the universe with arms stretched out, entering into our suffering willfully in love. Knowing that even when we want to save ourselves, Can't. In his refusal to save himself, Jesus does what we cannot do and saves us by entering into our exile. I love Holy Saturday, and I know that um, it's not Easter time, but this is how much I love Holy Saturday that I'm talking about it in like August. So, Holy Saturday is the, there's the Holy Week, right? We know it is like Easter and Good Friday. and um, So Holy Saturday is between Good Friday and Easter. And it's a time known for the silence, where, where God has died and lays there in silence. And everywhere you look, it seems as if darkness has won. And, and everything you can see, it, it feels as if death has actually gotten the final word. And so much of that resonates with me because if I can be honest with you, so much of that is my felt experience as a human being. I look around and I say, God, why are things not going differently? Why did you let this happen? Why do you keep letting this happen? Where are you? And we sit in the silence of Holy Saturday. We sit in the silence in a world where it seems as if God is dead. And the servant in Isaiah shows us something really important. Because if we will allow ourselves to actually give up this notion that we can save ourselves, if we allow ourselves to actually look out the window and be like, yeah, the world is really messed up and there's very, very little I can actually do about it. I don't know, my Facebook post didn't make a difference? Really? No one? Oh, sorry. (laughs) Sorry. This servant, in an age of chaos and violence and injustice and sickness and death, when it seems to roam free upon the face of God's earth and among God's people, this servant says, in shame, I will not be put to shame. In disgrace, I am not disgraced. In darkness, I am not swallowed by the shadow. And in death, I know that I will experience resurrection. See, the servant understands who has the power. The servant understands that power is not in the hands of the oppressor, although it feels very much like power is in the hands of the oppressor. But power is in the hands of the God of resurrection. In the midst of the darkness, we follow Jesus and we cling to the light us who walk in darkness and have no light, yet trust in the name of the Lord, we rely upon our God. The promise is not that if you believe in God, you will no longer be in darkness. The promise of God is that in darkness, you will have a great light. You will have a hope. And this is the life that Jesus invites us to right here and right now. It's messy and it's still really hard, but it's true and it's honest and it's really, really good because here's what can happen. Um, We talked a little bit about idols last week, and I won't go into a whole thing here. But so much of what just as human beings, and this is not like a condemnation of like, hey, you guys need to get this, do this better like me. Like, no, no, no. All of us, our hearts are bent towards like the quick fix, this is all idols were, is like, I need, I need a kid now. I'm gonna go over to this God who, if I do this little song and dance, this God might give me a kid. I need, I need a raise now. And so I'm gonna do this song and dance over here. And, and if I get it, then all, my, all of my life will be better. And if I don't get it, then everything's gonna be the worst ever. And we end up kind of in this feedback loop where we are looking for other things to save us. Or really, because we're like super good Americans, we actually put ourselves in the center of that story and try to find ways to save ourselves. And this is last week's sermon. And thank you, my goodness, I can feel the fresh breeze of the Holy Spirit upon me (laughs) with that air conditioning. Thank you, Kevin Spinato, for laying on of (laughs) hands. And what we fail to see is these idols of self-fulfillment and self-actualization or these so-called cures for our pain. All of them, all of them, all of them lead us further away from God and thus further into exile and will only ever disappoint us. The really hard work of the Christian life is sitting in the suffering and waiting for God. That's hard. That's scary. I daily struggle to do that. You can ask my wife and my child. Yeah, most of the time, actually, it's not going well. <laughs> yeah, it's fine. <laughs> They're not here to actually ask today. So I don't know, to text them, I guess. I don't know. We hear the words of Isaiah, you kindlers of fire, you lighters of firebrands, and we're tempted, by, uh, we're tempted to walk in the light of our own fires among the torches we have kindled. And this, this is really, this is such a clear picture of what happens, rather than entrusting ourselves to the light of the world, we like strike a match. We're like, no, no, cool, we're cool, Jesus, we got this. We're running around with our little lighters trying to provide our own light. And so we wait for God. So our daughter recently started attending um, the same school that Jordan, Jordan here? I don't see Jordan. Up attendance check. Sorry, Jordan. (laughs) She's in the back. Okay. She's safe today. (laughs) It's actually, so uh, Jordan and Sarah. Sarah, there you are. Shout out to Sarah. I told them, I saw them on Friday because like I was at their school like every day this week. And I told them, God bless teachers. All of you, I know there's a lot of teachers in here for real, like God bless you and thank you because that is really, really hard work. And it is really exhausting work. You've spent time with your kids, okay? Now, there's teachers who are spending time with your kids and other kids at the same time. It's exhausting. Thank you for what you do. Um, why did I bring this up? Oh, yeah. So, the school. So, I, I, I took uh, our daughter to school, and they do opening prayer. It's an Eastern Orthodox school, and so they do weird things like talk about saints, and so they were, the guy, I don't even know his name. The guy was talking about Ambrose, the saint. And he, he had gone to his crypt and he had seen his body. And you can actually go and like into the space and you can see Ambrose, who is like the father of, or the teacher of Augustine. And you like see his corpse. And you're like, yep, there it is. But then he said something that struck me to my core because it's so true. Such a picture of what we're invited into. There is Ambrose. Faithfully waiting on God, His dead, lifeless corpse that can do nothing to resurrect itself, faithfully waiting on God. This is what it looks like for us to live in exile. So much of what we do is an attempt to try and conjure potions of resurrection. There's the, the newest trend of all the, the tech execs trying to live longer lives and freeze their heads, Disney. What are you doing? We're trying to stave off the reality of death with creams and diets and workout trends. And, and yet we're in need of resurrection. Instead, we baptize our empire building and our self-indulgence and our despair with the religious veil of Jesus. But do we want Jesus? Because that's what we actually need. The temptation for us here at Redemption Church in our congregation is to become religious, to begin to try and do things that will actually make us stave off death without Jesus. The offer here is not, hey, you're not going to be in exile, or hey, you're going to avoid the desert. No, no, the offer here is that in the desert, in exile, in the midst of pain, in the midst of doubt, in the midst of struggle, struggle, you can actually still encounter Jesus. Because he's everything that our souls need. So we confront the reality of our limitations in confession, the reality that we are not God, that we're not immortal. And when we do this, there is a real invitation to rest, to wait on God. As you're being struck as your beard is being plucked out, as you're enduring the pain and the struggle of just real life, and sometimes that's a struggle to get my kids out the door, and sometimes that's like real, actual, profound struggle. But in all of it, God is there. In all of it, God is available to be with you, to offer peace and comfort in the midst of it. There's a song that um, I haven't listened to in a while and I was listening to this morning and it, um, it, I was blubbering like a baby. I was, yeah, crying. Sorry, that was my way of saying I was crying. Um, Because in it there's this picture of us living in this land of darkness and death and corruption and our inability to actually do anything about it. And then in it the singer talks about how I look up from the darkness and all I can see is the gaze of Jesus. In the face of Jesus he describes it as this great light that is beyond the curse. My hope and my life and my resurrection. If you know some of Um, our story, you know that some of the just the crap that we've had to deal with as a family, some of the load that we've had to carry, some of the like, really, again, this again? And I know that so many of you are like, you have very similar stories, just same song and dance, different rhythm. And I wanna invite you, I wanna invite all of you, even, I don't know, maybe you're having a great day and your life is wonderful and you're walking in here like, I don't know what this guy's going on about. (laughs) there is a great light beyond this curse. And it's not gonna be found in all of your needs being met, but it's actually the opposite. It's gonna be found in the face of Jesus because in Jesus, we will actually really find justice, and peace, and hope, and
0: resurrection from the dead. Let's pray. thanks for listening. If you'd like to learn more about us, get coffee with a pastor or visit us on a Sunday, then go to redemptionhou.com. Please know today that you are fully loved and fully accepted just the way you are. We hope to hear from you soon.